If everyone will please come in and be seated. We're ready to begin our main service this morning. Good morning. It's good to see each and every one who's here this morning. We know that we have a number of vacationers that are still away. Some of our vacationers are back, and we welcome you back to the family this morning. But we're still missing quite a few, and that's why we're so few this morning. But the Lord has brought us here this morning. He has a message for our hearts. May He touch us and, and challenge us and change our lives. And may it be a blessing. We look forward to that in a little bit. We'll have a message from the Word. But today we're going to sing two congregational songs. And then we'll have an opening prayer by our brother Brad. And then following that, we'll have the message from the Word of God. So let's sing together this beautiful song of the faith. It's got a wonderful marching kind of melody. It's encouraging. It's joyful. It's stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is conquered and Christ is Lord indeed. What a blessing. Let's sing it all together with all our hearts. We may be few, but let's sing it nice and loud together. As unto the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. All together. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto Oh. 
that we're in a battle, we're in a fight against Satan, against the world, against the devil, everything, including against our own flesh, which is so sinful. But praise be to God, he gives us the victory, and we do stand up. Stand up for Jesus. And now we're going to sing another one about standing. Standing on the truth. Standing on the promises of God. Oh, what a beautiful song. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. What a place to stand on today. It's firm. It's powerful. His promises. All together. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. I'm standing on the promise. 
Amen. So encouraging, isn't it? What a blessing. We're going to ask our brother Brad to come up now and open in prayer, and then we'll have a few announcements, and then we'll have the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your promises. There is no firmer foundation for us to stand on, Lord, and we will stand on them until you come again, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to come here this morning and worship you and hear the word. We pray for uh, Dean's message, and we ask for uh, safety as he flies down to, to L.A., that you'd just be with him and all the other uh, family and uh, our other brother and sisters that are on vacation. Just give them a, a good time, protect them, and get them back to us safely. And, and we just pray this in your name. Amen. We'll have a few announcements, and then we have a new bulletin to, to mention as well. Tomorrow night, there'll be a joint prayer meeting at 7.30. Mike will conduct, Mike Hyde. And so please come, that everyone will pray. Uh, there's many needs to pray for. If you look at our prayer list, and Gilbert and Jean do a fantastic job, don't they, on the prayer list every week, adding the requests, putting them on there, putting praises and thanksgiving to the Lord when he answers our prayer. So come out to pray tomorrow night at 7.30. On Wednesday night, we'll have a video by our brother, Louis Giglio. He's become one of my favorite speakers. I love this brother. He has a heart for the Lord. He relates to all ages, and he's a, a great speaker. So that'll be at 7.30, and Mike will conduct the meeting on Wednesday. Thursday, of course, there's no women's Bible study, and then Friday groups will meet as well. So we have a new bulletin coming up. And this is a great one. It's the Lord's Prayer, and it's Thy Will Be Done. And this is a great prayer as we get up every day, say, Lord, may your will be done in my life today. Not my will, Lord. No matter what my will may seem, may it be your will. And that's an encouragement for us. Your will be done. Our brother Jim Hyde is going to be our speaker on the first su Sunday in August, August 5th. And then we have also Adel this month on the 12th. Randy White on the 19th, and Randy Ackle on the 26th of August. There'll be a women's dinner on the 13th of August on Monday night at 7 o'clock. You can see Sonia Sisko to sign up for that wonderful women's dinner. And then there'll be a video and dessert night on Wednesday night, August 15th. That's Wednesday night at 7.30, the 15th. And then Jeff and Taylor's baby shower for Colin. And he, it's going to be a blessing. It'll be on Monday night, August 20th at 7 o'clock. So be sure to come for that as well. At this time now, we're going to have the message from the Word. Shall we just look once more to the Lord in a word of prayer? Father, we're so thankful that we stand before you this morning, standing on the promises of God, standing as Christians for our faith. We know it's under attack today. It's not popular in the world today to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be disciples of Christ. It's not popular to go to church. It's not popular to be committed to the Savior. But we thank you, Lord, that we're not seeking a popularity contest we're seeking to please our Lord who died for us. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be glorified today, that you will hide me behind the cross, and that you will use the word in our lives today to touch whatever need we have, 
Whatever thing we're going through, may it be a blessing. And anyone here that's not saved, Lord, may they get saved. And so we ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last week, we had part one of God's sovereign turn of events. Now, some weren't here, but I was very encouraged. Both Cameron and Katrina both told me, not together, but in, separately when I was talking to them, that they listened to the message last night so that they could catch up. But I'm going to give a little synopsis of what we talked about last week. We talked about a bunch of different characters in this chapter. We talked about Herod, who was on the warpath against the church, against the Christians, and he persecuted a number of them. He killed James with a sword. He put Peter into prison and was going to kill him also the next day after the Passover. So it looked very bleak. The church was under attack, and yet God is sovereign. He's under control. He has everything under his control, and he sent his angel into that prison and brought Peter out. And the chains fell off his hands. He told them, get up, put on your sandals, put on your coat, and follow. And so he followed him out, and then he got outside the prison, and he realized that the Lord had delivered him. And now today we're going to pick up the story of what happened next, where Peter went after he was released. We're going to also see what happened to Herod in the end. And we're also going to see how the church ended up growing and multiplying and being such a blessing to all the people. Well, today we're going to start by reading verses 12 through 17 in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And we'll read verses 12 to 17. Here it says, So when he had considered this, and that is Peter, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and we had the knock last week, we'll have it again, the knock at the door. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer, and when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Imagine Peter in the middle of the night, maybe one, two o'clock in the morning. He's dressed, he's got his sandals on, he's got his coat on, probably a little chilly out there. And he comes to his senses that God has delivered him, that it's real, it's not a dream, it's not a vision, it's not just something in his head. This really did happen, he's really free. So the first place he goes to is not to his home, not to his family. He goes to the prayer meeting where the Christians are praying. And that tells me something, that he knew that these Christians were used to praying at Mary's house. And they oftentimes prayed longer than just an hour or even two. They prayed into the night. And there they were this night praying for what? 
for Peter to be delivered from the prison. That's what their prayer requests were. And you can imagine, one gets up to pray, and then another one gets up to pray, and they're pleading with the Lord, please, Lord, there's persecution, Lord, against your people. They're, they're, Herod is doing some terrible things, and he's got Peter in that prison, and he's planning to kill him, Lord. And they were, they were crying out in earnest prayer. But the question is, from the passage that we're going to see this morning, did they really believe that God was going to answer that prayer in a miraculous, immediate way? We're going we're to look at that. You know, a number of years ago, I went to Fairhaven Bible Chapel when we were in the intern program, and they used to have a Friday night prayer meeting that went all night. Now, that's tough to do. It really is. You get tired, especially after working all week, but they had this Friday night prayer meeting that went on, and it went on for years and years. I don't know if they still have it, but if they do, praise God for it, because prayer is, like Adel says, the backbone of the church, a prayer meeting. And that's what they were doing here. And on this particular night, they're really earnestly praying. If you look over at verse 5 in the chapter, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And I'm sure that there were other prayer meetings going on too, because one house could not hold all the Christians in those days. They probably had other prayer gatherings going on, but this one was an all-nighter. This one was a, a prayer meeting that was earnest. And sometimes when you pray and you have something that's really important on your heart, you may include fasting with it. But prayer and fasting go together. And that's what we do when we're earnest before the Lord. And they go over to a lady's house named Mary. And Mary was the mother of John Mark. And we know that John Mark was the servant of the Lord. He went out with Paul and Barnabas. They were serving the Lord. And then all of a sudden he left the Apostle Paul and he went back to home here in Jerusalem. And Paul was upset by that and it caused a, a, a strife between Paul and Barnabas. But later on, Paul forgave John Mark and he said he's a valuable servant. Go and bring John Mark because he's useful for the ministry. God is a God of second chances. He doesn't give up on us. He didn't give up on John Mark. And because John Mark's mother was a godly Christian, she raised him the right way, and he turned out well for the Lord. And even though he had that failure in his life, he came back. He came back strong. We should never discount that. And even Peter, who's one of our main people in this chapter, had a spiritual blowout in his life when he denied the Lord three times. But in mercy and grace, the Lord forgave him, brought him back and said, I can use you. I'm going to give you another chance. He gives you another chance. He gives me another chance. He doesn't say you're a failure or you're a loser. I can't use you anymore. He said, come on, get up. Let's do it. And that's what he did with John Mark. And I really like this family. And I found out, and I didn't know this, or maybe I learned it years ago, but I didn't realize that Mary, the mother, the mother of John Mark, was also the sister of Barnabas. She was Barnabas' sister. What a godly family, right? Barnabas' sister, and there, and then they have the nephew, which is John Mark. And then, on top of that, they were a family that came from Cyprus. They were Greek. And so, it's, it's a beautiful interconnection to see how everything in Scripture all fits together. And sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we don't know it. But God has a plan and the Scriptures just fit together like a, put it on, putting on a glove. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. 
And the early Christians, they didn't meet in public buildings like we do. They met in homes. And they met together in the name of the Lord. And I like what J. Vernon McGee says about this in his commentary through the Bible. He says, the church at this particular time, and for about 150 years after this, did not have church buildings. At the beginning, the church never met in a public building. They had none. They met in homes. And all of a sudden yesterday, I was studying this, and I was thinking back, and Sally will remember, Jan will remember, a number of you, Emily and Rick, different ones that were with us way back when we used to meet, remember those small group Bible studies we used to have. And we'd have them from house to house. One week we'd have it at one person's house, right? Another week we'd have it at another person's house. We were small enough. We'd meet in a circle. Adel would teach us the Word of God, and we would have sharing. We were so small then. And I remember those days very fondly. Because though he's given us this beautiful church, it's big, it's posh, it's all of these things. It's a blessing. Don't get me wrong. But somehow when you meet together as a small group in a home, it has a way of knitting you together in such a beautiful way. And I remember those days very fondly. And you know, Mary, the, the mother of John Mark here, she wasn't the only lady that had a church in her household. There was another lady. If you look over at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15, you will see that there was another meeting going on in, in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea has a very bad reputation because they were the church that was lukewarm. But even in the midst of that, there were godly Christians. And one of them was Nymphas. And it says in the New King James and in the King James, it refers to at as his house. But if you look at some of the other versions like the NIV and the NASB and almost every other version, you'll see. If Ed's, Ed's going to put this verse up, Colossians 4.15. First of all, I'll read it in the New King James. It says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his, or as I said, it can be rendered her, but in his house. But notice up here, greetings Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. That is the accurate way. It was in her house. There were women that followed the Lord Jesus. They loved him and they donated to him from their private means. They loved the Lord. And in fact, I think that the women loved the Lord maybe even more than many of the men. They put many of us men to shame. They followed him. They were the last ones at the cross, and they were the first ones at the tomb. They loved the Lord. And this woman here, Mary, she loved the Lord so very much, and she says, I want to open my home. And some of the commentators said she was probably a well-to-do woman, and she had the Christians in her home. And you know, if you have people in your home and they come in, they might spill something, they might spill some food, they might spill some drink on the ground and things like that. You but you know what? She says, this is the Lord's house. I'm going to have the Christians in my house, and I don't care if they do spill anything. We can clean it. I don't care if they mess things up. I don't have to have my per house perfect for them. I'm going to bring them in, God's people, and they're going to be in here, and we're going to have church here. And I really like the spirit of Mary. It was beautiful. And these Christians, it says in, in our chapter, they were gathered together Many were gathered together in prayer. It wasn't a small meeting. It was big. They had many people there, and it was a, probably a big crowd, and they were praying all night in earnest prayer. And it's so beautiful. And then all of a sudden, as the prayer meeting is going on, 
there's a door, there's a knock at the door. And Rhoda, who we know is a servant girl, comes to, he she hears the knock at the door. And I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on Rhoda before, but I don't think so because I don't ever recall myself having a, a sermon directed on Rhoda, but today we're going to hear a little bit about Rhoda. Rhoda, her, is na her name is a Greek name. It means rose or rosebud. She came probably from Cyprus also because her name is Greek. And here she's a servant girl. You can see from this chapter she's a believer. And she has this faith in the Lord. And so the, as the prayer meeting goes, she hears the knock of the door. Somebody's at the door. So she goes up to the door and says, who is it? Now, we all do that, right? At home, we have our door and somebody might ring the bell or they might knock. Now, we have those little, little uh, round uh, little glass uh, things there, a peephole, right? So you can kind of look through that and see who is there because... Why would that be important to them especially is because there was so much persecution going on. You didn't just want to open the door. You got to know who's there. So they didn't have the little peephole to look to. So she, so she said, who's there? And, and Peter was talking. And she recognized his voice. And I thought that was so special. Here's a young woman who loved the Lord, loved Peter, and probably had heard many of his sermons who had been taught the word of God by Peter, she knew his voice. You know, if, somebody, if Adel came to, the, to, the, to your door and was knocking and he said his voice, you'd know it's Adel. You'd say, Adel's here. Let's open the door for him. Well, she recognized the voice of Peter. And what a blessing it was. We don't know too much about her, but she, was, she knew enough to know the voice of Peter and to appreciate his godliness and all that... She had been taught by him. And I praise God for that. But it reminds me of a story I read years ago about Christians that were meeting in the old USSR. And I'm, I think I told this story one time before, but they were meeting together and there used to be moles that would come in. They were spies. They would come in from the Russian government, the Soviet Union, and they would come in and pretend to be Christians so they could find out where the Christians were meeting in secret, so they could arrest them, persecute them and even kill them and it was so bad so one day all of a sudden this soldier just bursts right through the door with his rifle pointed at them he says okay you better get out of here anybody who's not really a christian you better get out of here because and they ran out of there so fast those false ones those imitation those fake those spies ran out and then what did the soldier do he took off his coat put down his rifle got out his Bible, and sat down with the Christians because he was a Christian. But what better way to get rid of those false ones, those spies out of there, but they have him come in with his gun pointed at him, right? I thought, wow, what a blessing. And that, that's what happened in, the, in these days. They were meeting in secret because there was so much persecution going on in that time. And she recognized Peter's voice. It was so beautiful. And my question was this, was I was thinking about this and studying this, I was thinking, do we have the kind of excitement where we want to gather together with the Christians, that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what trials we're going through, there's nothing going to stop me from getting to church. That's the way Peter was, that's the way Rhoda was, she had this joy in her life, in fact she got so much joy 
that she heard Peter's voice, and instead of opening the gate, which she should have done, now she is to be blamed for that one, but she had such excitement that Peter, the very one they're praying for, think of that, they're praying that Peter, Peter will be delivered, she was so excited, it says she didn't walk, she ran, so she went up to the gate, and then she ran back and said, Peter's at the gate, Peter, you, Peter, what are you, you're out of your mind, you're crazy. In fact, the word that's used here is a Greek word, masias, which means mad woman. So, I mean, they, they basically say you're out of your mind. Because Peter, we know, is, is not going to be standing at the door. He's, gonna, he's there in the prison. But think about it. What were they praying for? Weren't they praying for him to be delivered? If he's going to be delivered, shouldn't he be there right at the door? Shouldn't you be standing at the door, in fact, waiting for Peter because you're praying? And I thought sometimes we're, we're like this group of Christians. We, we bring our requests before the Lord. We know he can answer. We know he has the power to answer. He can do it. We believe he can do it. But do we really believe that he's going to do it and do it right then and do a miracle right now? Do we really have that kind of faith? It challenged these Christians in their faith because at this point in time, they had a lack of faith. They're, they had doubt that, that God would, would somehow answer. But I really like the fact that she had this joy. She had this passion. She was so excited to tell them that. And I like the fact that she doesn't take no for an answer because notice in verse 15 what they said. They said, you are beside yourself, yet she kept insisting that it was so. You were not going to convince Rhoda. There is no way that this is, an, that this is Peter's angel. Because they were saying, it's his angel. The Jewish tradition had it that every child of God, every believer in the Jewish faith, had a guardian angel that followed them wherever they went and took care of them and helped them. And it's true, the Lord does dispatch angels for all of us. They're messengers, they're missionaries, they're, they're helpers, they're gonna, and they're strong and powerful, and they can do it. But this was not Peter's angel. This was the real Peter. The real Simon Peter is at the door. So she kept insisting that this is so. Okay, let's open the door. We're not going to shut her up. She's excited. She's beside herself, but okay. Because they started hearing the knock. Peter was still knocking. Think if you were out in front of a door, and, and these are the Christians. They're supposed to love you, right? They're supposed to be praying for you, and here they are, and you're having to, you knocked once. You're, you're still knocking. Knock, knock, knock. You're still knocking. They're not coming. Where are they? And then finally, they opened the door, and there was Peter. And it says an interesting thing. The Holy Spirit uses this word in the end of 16. It says, now, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. They were surprised. They were shocked that Peter was there. And I got to thinking, does God ever shock us with an answer to prayer? Something that is so impossible, so, so out of this world that we cannot even imagine it? Does he do that? Sometimes he does. Gina used to say, I like it when God surprises me. Because sometimes we pray for something and God does something different and he surprises us and gives us something better than we even prayed for. But there are times when he answers it exactly how we prayed for it in a powerful way and that's what he did here. And you can imagine they open the door and they see Peter. Wow, I'm sure their mouths fell open. 
I'm sure they could hardly speak. And they were amazed that God had done this on, the, on his behalf. But it's amazing. She was in pretty good company with some pretty good people who said they were, that they were crazy. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. They said the th same thing about him. He's beside himself. His own family said he's, he's, he's beside himself. He's not in his right mind. And then Festus said that to the Apostle Paul. He said, Paul, you're beside yourself. Your great learning is driving you mad. And he says, no, oh, no, oh, King Festus, I'm not mad. Christ has saved my life. He's changed my life. And I want you to, to experience that as well. No, she wasn't crazy. The Lord Jesus wasn't crazy. Paul wasn't crazy. But they were fanatical for their faith. They were dedicated so much that they believed. And they were willing to do and go anywhere for the Lord. You know, it reminds me of the story of the resurrection. Because that's another one that really I have to ask when I get to heaven about that one. Because the Lord had promised. He said, I'm gonna, they're going to crucify me. And I'm going to be put in a tomb. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And I'm going to meet you in Galilee. That's exactly what he said. But when the time came for it, they didn't believe it. They didn't go to Galilee waiting for him. They didn't believe that he was going to rise from the dead. And in fact, when Mary Magdalene came back to tell them that the Lord was alive, she says, he's alive. We went to the tomb. He's risen. He's alive. I saw him. I spoke to him. It says they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They thought, in, they, we're going to look at a couple verses Ed's going to put up. The first one is Luke chapter 24 and verse 11. Luke 24 and verse 11 says, their words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Idle tales, fairy tales, can't really be real. Jesus can't be alive, right? Nobody rises from the dead. And then in Mark 16, 13, it also says this, even after hearing that the women, test, the testimony of the women, and then they heard the testimony of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they came back and told them the same thing. And then it says in Mark 16, 13, and they went and told the rest, but they didn't believe them either. I mean, it was just too amazing to believe that Jesus was alive. It reminds me of this situation. It should convict us because the Lord wants us to have a real, genuine faith that believes, believes that he can answer, believe that he will answer, and that he will come through for us. He wants us to have that kind of faith. The hymn writer said this, and it challenges my heart. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Now, I read kind of a little humorous point by Herbert Lockler in his book, All the Women of the Bible. It's a great book. There's, I mentioned it before. All the Women of the Bible, and then he wrote one, All the Men of the Bible. If you want to know anything about a character in the Bible, you read that book, and it gives some really good information there. Well, he put it this way, Peter knocked, Rhoda was shocked, and the saints mocked. I'll say that again. That's exactly what happened. Peter knocked, Rhoda was shocked, and the saints mocked. But believe me, once they saw Peter, they weren't mocking anymore. They realized it was true. And the Lord wants us to have a simple, childlike faith that if God says it, we believe it, and we believe it's going to happen. There's a little chorus that says, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me.
And it should settle it for us. We shouldn't pace the floor or get upset or worried or, or bothered because if God says it, we should believe it. And that is what happened here. And then when Peter's talking, it says he motioned with his hand for them to be silent. And I believe that wasn't hard because they were, they were silenced by their unbelief and couldn't even say a word. But he motioned with his hand. And if you read in the New Testament, you'll see Paul did the same thing when he was speaking to people. Motioned with his hands. Listen, this is important. Be silent. Let me speak. And then Peter proceeds in the verse, in verse 17, to tell a brief testimony of how God had done this for him. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord brought him out of the prison. And he said, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. He gave the glory to the Lord. He didn't say, boy, you should have seen me in that prison. I, went, I knocked those guards out or I got out of that prison. I slipped out of those shackles and I got out through the first guard and the second guard and all that. No, that's not what happened. He knew what happened. The Lord sent his angel to deliver him. It was real and he's giving testimony to that fact. He's giving glory to the Lord. And I'm sure Peter was very humbled by the fact that he knew he was in a bad place and couldn't get out. There was no hope for him. And yet the Lord sent his angel, delivered him, and now he's standing before them at the prayer meeting, giving thanks. Talk about an answer to prayer, walking, literally walking through the door. It's so beautiful and so amazing. Yes, he escaped death and he gave the Lord all the glory. And we should give him the glory too. Because God is able to do wonders and miracles. He's able to come through for us. He's able to guide us and lead us. And without him, we can't do anything. And he adds there, he says, And go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. James here, Bill McDonald says, is probably James the son of Alphaeus. He was one of the disciples, James the son of Alphaeus. But there were three James. The other James was killed with the sword, and that was the brother of John. And the third James is, they call him James the Less. He was the brother of the Lord Jesus. So there were three men in the New Testament by the name of James, and they were all believers and all servants of Christ. And here it says, he says, go tell James. And so I was thinking about that, and sometimes I use my sanctified imagination, and I say, why wasn't James here praying with them? Why weren't the brethren there praying with them? Were they there earlier and they left early while the other saints continued? Maybe, but probably not. They probably had, like I thought, had other prayer gatherings going on in, around Jerusalem. But it's interesting. He says, go tell James what happened, that the Lord has delivered. Because he knew as soon as that news would spread, it would spread to one group of Christians here, then another group and another group. And think how encouraged they were being by that news that the Lord had done a miracle and he answered their prayers and he brought Peter out of the prison. It would bring revival. It would bring encouragement to the saints. And that's what he wanted to do. Go and tell James and tell the brethren. And I was just thinking about how the Lord does that in our lives when he brings us together and we see an answer to prayer. When we look at Jessica, she is an answer to prayer sitting right here. And she ministers to the people that have cancer and she says, I've been through it. And that's why they listen to her, because she has been through it. She's going through different things. And we all have things that we go through. And when God answers the prayer, we give him the glory. It gives 
him the glory, and it brings such encouragement and joy to the saints. And what a blessing that is to see how that works. One day I was in the hospital in 1998 because they said, I went there, I was really sick, and they said, you got an irregular heartbeat, we want to keep you over the weekend and, and test you out. And so they did that, all these tests, and I was so ready to go home. And finally it came Monday, and they finally said, I think it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon at Kaiser in Walnut Creek, they said you can go home. And I was so excited. And I went home first, and I showered, and the first place it was was a Monday night prayer meeting, and I came to church. I came to church. And it was so encouraging, because when God does these things, you want to come, and you want to give Him praise, and you want to say, I have an answer to prayer. I have a big blessing. I have something that God did in my life. Sometimes it starts off as an unspoken request, and then the Lord answers it in such a joyful way as it becomes a spoken praise. And that is a real blessing. And so the Christians were really encouraged. Well, now we're going to see in verses 18 through, through 22 the rest of the story of what happened to Herod. We know what happened to Peter. He started off in prison, and now he's delivered. The Christians were persecuted. Now the Lord is blessing and so many things. Well, now we're going to see what is going to happen to wicked, evil Herod. The one who started this chapter in such a way as he was persecuting the Christian, killing James and putting Peter in prison ready to kill him. Now we're going to see what's going to happen to him. He was very upset. And I'm not going to read these verses now. I'm just going to tell you. He was very upset that Peter had escaped out of the prison. We're going to have to have an investigation and see what happened. We're going to have to see who is responsible for letting Peter get away. And who would that be? Those guards that he was chained to? Those on shifts of four that I mentioned last week? There were 16 guards who were responsible. Two of them were chained to Peter. Two more outside the door. And then shifts of four would come in. And you can just imagine the panic that those guards experienced that night, when all of a sudden they realized the prisoner is gone. Now, I would like to think, and I don't know it for sure, but there probably had never been an escape from this prison. I have a feeling that it never had an escape from it. So when this happened, it caused an uproar, an uproar among the guards, because they knew now that their lives are on the line because they let him get away. And Herod is absolutely furious. And I bet he called them in one by one and tell me what happened. And he listened to their story. And every time he heard them give this same account, he got angrier and angrier. What do you mean? This doesn't make any sense. What you guys are saying is bad. He's execute them all. And that's what he did. He executed every single one of those guards. And I would wonder, I don't know for sure, but he may have executed all 16. But we weren't, on, we weren't on shift duty that night, Herod. I don't care, you're still responsible. But for sure he killed the ones who were chained to him and the two outside the prison. But he may have killed all 16 of them. He was so angry. He felt so frustrated and so disappointed. But praise be to God that the Lord defeated Herod and he defeated all these evil people that were out to get them, the Christians. J. Vernon McGee commented, he said, when the soldiers found out that Peter was gone, I think they called out half the army. They must have made a house-to-house -house search. Maybe they threw a guard around the city to prevent his escape. Imagine, a notorious, they considered Peter a notorious prisoner. He's just a disciple. 
former fisherman. I mean, he's not armed or anything, but they considered him a prisoner, and they're going to do a house-to-house search. And I'm sure that they did. I'm sure that they went out, but they never found Peter. They couldn't find him. And so with all this going on, Herod was so upset, so uh, humiliated by this whole incident that he got on his horse and rode back to Caesarea, which is not too far away, but that was where his headquarters was. And he says, I just want to get out of here. This proud, wicked, evil man that thought he had such control and such power over God's people, the church, is now on his horse riding out of town. A defeated man, a humiliated man, a shamed man. And so he gets there to Caesarea, and then things he thinks start to turn around. Things start to get better. He said his servant is named Blastus, and he's the, his personal aide and administrative assistant. And he said, oh, king, we've got some representatives here from the people of Tyre and Sidon. And these people in Tyre and Sidon had a dispute with the king, and, and, they were, they, and he was upset with them, and they were upset with him. And so they, they came, and they said, we're gonna make, we want to make peace. We want to sign a peace treaty with you, O King Herod. Oh, he said, great. This is wonderful. So they signed the peace treaty. And it, as it turns out, these people in Tyre and Sidon were fed by the king. In other words, he was the key to their food supply. And these people knew, number one, if they didn't come to peace terms with Herod, they weren't going to get any food. So they were going to be in trouble in that way. And then they knew how angry Herod was. So let's make peace with him now. We don't want him turning against us. So they made peace with him. And then in verse 21, they made these flattering words to him. These blasphemous words is really what they were. Notice what they said. The voice of a God and not a man. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? They're calling Herod a god. Now, of course, Herod corrected him, right? I'm not a god. He didn't correct them. He never said a word. He just took it all in. I like that. That sounds good. He took it in. But you know, God hears everything. He sees everything. And at that very moment in time, he sent an angel to strike Herod down and he died. It says he was eaten with worms. He died a painful death because of what he did. Because he didn't give glory to the Lord. And I really believe he didn't die this death because he persecuted the church. Because a number of people did that. They didn't die. He didn't die because he killed James with the sword. There were many people that martyred the Christians. They killed the Christians. I believe that he, he did this, he died this way, the Lord made a specific death for him like this because he didn't give glory to God. He took the glory for himself. He liked the fact that they were calling him a God and didn't correct them, didn't straighten them out. And because of that, the Lord struck him. Struck him right on the spot. He died right on the spot. Can you imagine? He's up there speaking and he's a good speaker and the people are just loving it. J. Vernon McGee said this, he said, Herod was pompous and lifted up by his pride. He was also a pleasing speaker. He was the kind of politician who would have been elected no matter what party he was running for. You know, he, he's this really eloquent speaker and he's this powerful politician and this guy and they loved him and everything and they said, the voice of a God and not a man. The Lord took him down. Bill McDonald said, he made no effort to refuse such divine honors or to give glory to God. 
And the Holy Spirit is very clear here. It says, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. I thought, wow. Is there a God in heaven? Yes. Does he stand for his people? Yes. Is he going to win at the end? Yes. Are we going to be victors with him in the end? Yes. Praise God. The Lord knows what he's doing. And for sure, Herod did not give glory to God. But look at the contrast. Peter and the Christians gave glory to God that Peter had been delivered on one hand. On the other hand, Herod did not give glory to God, took it for himself, and God struck him right down. And I would like to believe, and I'm going to have to wait till I heaven to, to get to know this. I have so many questions I want to ask when I get to heaven. My question is this. I wonder if this angel that struck down Herod may have just been the same angel that God sent into the prison cell to deliver Peter. I have a feeling. I can just hear it now in heaven. And the, and the Lord calls that angel. Remember we had the angel last week and, and he calls him. He said, I got another mission for you. Okay, I'm ready to go. Your job now is to go down and strike down Herod, that wicked king, because he's not given glory to God. I believe it is. I believe the same angel God sent, we don't know this for sure, but I believe same angel had the mission of delivering Peter on one hand and then coming back to finish the job to take care of Herod. And they didn't need the seals. They didn't need the Navy seals to go in to take down Herod and all his wickedness. All they needed was one angel to strike him dead. You know, the Bible says this in Psalm 29 too. It says, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship him in the, in the spirit or the beauty of holiness. And then in Isaiah 42, 8, it really talks about this event that's happening because it speaks to it anyway. It says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord and that is my name. And my, and my glory I will not share with another, nor my praise to carve images. He says, I'm not going to share my glory with Herod. I'm not going to share my glory with any man. We need to give God all the glory. He deserves all the glory and all the credit and all the praise. And here's Herod, this wicked man, evil, wicked ruler. He's dead. You know, remember that uh, song they used to sing in the Wizard of Oz? Ding dong, the witch is dead, the witch. <laughs> that was a song that they had when they were so happy when the wicked witch was finally dead. Well, I can imagine those Christians praising God said, Ding dong, Herod is dead. He's dead. He's devilly dead. But you know what? That's humorous, but I don't think it's true. Because God's people, we should never be happy at the death of a wicked person, of an unsaved person, because what does that mean? They're going to hell. He's going to end up in the bowels of hell. We should never be happy when somebody like that dies. We should be sad and we should pray for the family of that person and pray that they'll get saved so they don't join them there. But praise be to God, there was a victory, though, by this. And then finally, at the end of this chapter, it's so beautiful, it says how well the church was then doing. It says in verse 24, but the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Let's say that together. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Did persecution wipe out the church? No. Did it hinder the gospel from going forth from place to place, city to city? No. 
In fact, they grew more. They multiplied more. The more the church was persecuted, the more they grew. If you look at per capita, how many people are getting saved in countries that are persecuted, it's way high compared to like countries like us where we have so much freedom to become Christian, come to church publicly, pray publicly, speak the word publicly. We have so many freedoms, and that's a great thing. But these Christians that are under persecution, they go out and they multiply and get more people saved. It's amazing. And that's what happened. It reminds me of the days when Pharaoh said, we're going to kill all the little baby boys, all the Hebrew baby boys. And he told the midwives, Shipra and Pua, if you have a woman who's giving birth to a little girl, go ahead. But if, you're given, if she's given birth, this Hebrew woman is giving birth to a boy, take him out and kill him. Throw him into the Nile. Well, these, these two Hebrews, they were so wonderful, these women. They believed in God. They trusted in God. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. They said, these Hebrew women are strong women. They give birth before the midwife could get to them. And God honored their stand per, to protect those boys, even though they weren't telling the truth. And we should tell the truth. He's not justifying that, that they, they shouldn't. But he protected them, and it said God blessed them with households. He gave them sons and daughters and blessed them so much because they stood for the Lord's people. And so here we find the same thing happening. The more the persecution, the more the opposition, the more the obstacles come, the better the Lord is able to bring his church through it. So praise God for our forefathers who carried the torch of the gospel and because they carried the torch and they passed it from one person to another, it's now reached our hands today. Can't we be thankful that those Christians were willing to be persecuted, to be even put to death, to carry that torch so that we would receive it now? I heard a story yesterday of a mother whose son was a young, young son, and he had a terminal illness, and he was saying to his mother, he said, Mom, wouldn't it be great to be part of that torch relay? I'd love to be part of that torch relay and carry that torch that would end up in the London Stadium there. And she said, well, maybe we could do it, son. Yes, let's see if we can do it. Well, as it turned out, Miss touched my heart so much yesterday. It turned out that the boy passed away, and the mother said, I'm going to go through with it. And she took that torch, and she ran on behalf of herself and her son. And she carried that torch, and I was thinking, no matter what God allows in our lives, no matter what happens to us, let's carry the torch. Let's pass it on to the next generation. And I praise God that the church is healthy because we have godly kids that are growing up in godly homes, and they're going to carry the torch too, and they're going to carry it to the next person. Thank God for that. May the Lord encourage us. So let's remember this morning that God is sovereign. He can turn events around that we think are impossible and difficult. He turned around the situation where there was persecution and death for the Christians. He turned it around in the fact that Peter was delivered and went back to the prayer meeting and God answered prayer. And he turned around Herod's situation. He thought he was on top and the Lord struck him down because he didn't give glory to God. And may the Lord help us, no matter what obstacles we face, no matter what hindrances, what enemies we face, may we face it in prayer and may we go forth and be a blessing to others, knowing that God is able to overrule. He's able to do it because he's God. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this exciting portion of your word. We pray that you'll give us the faith, Lord, to believe that when we pray that you will hear and you will answer. 
Not only are you able to do it, but help us to believe that you will do it. Help us to thank you in advance for doing it. And help us, Lord, to know that you can turn things around that look so bleak and so terrible. And Lord, help us to have that faith that trusts you, Lord. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we don't always believe as we should. We don't always have that strong faith. And sometimes we let circumstances get us down and discouraged. Lift us up today, Lord. Encourage our hearts to know that you're with us, that you're going to carry us through these circumstances until we get to heaven. And we just give you all the glory today because you're so worthy, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.